0: That dad can do it, this dad can do it, two dads can do it, you can do it too.
1: Hello there and welcome back to the Two Dads Can Do It podcast. I'm Wes. And I'm Jack. Yeah, Thanks for joining us again. This is episode three. On today's episode we're going to be talking about our very first initial meeting with our social worker after deciding to go on the adoption journey and also voluntary work. Yes, indeedy. We can only apologize for the slight hiatus between this
0: episode and our last episode. It's been quite a busy time in our lives, hasn't it, young Wessels? Oh, just a smidge. Just a smidge. Since we last recorded our episode, we have, aside from the madness that was 2020, dealing with a pandemic, adopting a child, we have also moved house. Yes, we have upgraded. We are now slightly bigger quite spacious. Um, so there's been a lot of boxes to unpack. It's taking us through most of uh, November, December and January. But finally, all our ducks, our proverbial ducks are in a row. And we feel that, yes, we are ready to continue on with this little podcast, which um, thank you very much for all those people who have uh, spoken to us and wrote nice messages about it. We very much appreciate it. And uh, hopefully uh, going forward in 2021. Despite the joys of being in lockdown yet uh, again, uh, we endeavour to be a little bit more frequent, shall we say, with dropping the odd episodes.
1: Yep, absolutely. That is, that is the aim. And and as discussed previously, our aim is to break, break them down into bite-sized chunks of the process and in a nutshell, kind of sharing our experience of our journey and any tips and advice that we can give anyone going through their own journey.
0: So, when we had finished our last episode, we had taken a plunge. We had felt that our local authority was
1: the best agency to plump with. It was literally on the way home from that information evening, wasn't it? Yeah. we There and then, we just had that feeling, didn't we, in the gut? Yeah. Indeed. We had that gut feeling, and I think I made the call, didn't I, that very next day, didn't I? You certainly did. Yeah, so, so what happened was, I uh, made the call to register our interest, to uh, wanting to start the journey... And then from there, a, a meeting was arranged with a social worker. to come into our house and kick things off, really, isn't it? And get the, get the ball rolling.
0: Yes. So I think it's here that we should take a moment to explain what our life was up at that point. We had both been, we both had regular jobs. We had a lovely little our previous home uh, was a lovely little two bedroom Victorian terrace uh, in a nice little town in southeast England. Perfectly pleasant. It was very charming. Lots of nice sort of Victorian features. We had two fireplaces, lovely iron banister leading up to the second floor. It was very delightful. We were very fond of that house. Very fond of that house indeed. But as I think anybody who is going through the adoption journey and is about to allow a stranger to come into their house, certain anxieties had started to uh, <laughs> crop up, shall we say. I think that's a slight understatement, isn't it? <laughs> what had, what in our mind at first had been the perfect, perfect little home, suddenly you start to overanalyze. You start to think yeah. that wonderful original stairway, mm-hmm. Could now become a death trap. The quirky nature of steps leading down into the kitchen—a young child could break its neck on it. The fact that our bathroom lock was a little bit squirrely, and child could accidentally lock themselves in. Also, the fact our bathroom only had a shower—we didn't have a bath. Yes, it. At the time, and I, we had lived in that house nearly five years. By that point, we were happy as clams with our little shower. I personally, I can't remember last time I had a bath. I personally, mm-hmm. there are far more attractive ways of me relaxing than I think sitting in my own hot water for half an hour on end, surrounded by candles, listening to Enya. But <laughs> faced with the prospect that our house was going to be evaluated, suddenly... I was like, we can't just have a shower. How on earth is a three-year-old meant to clean him or herself? How are we going to manage his basic toiletry functions? Why on earth are we in this house? This house is totally inappropriate for a small child. And like, I mean, obviously I had no interest whatsoever in the Victorian house in the beginning. Why on earth did Wes even allow me to buy this house? Why are we even doing this? Do we need to move house? And we- Wes is throwing me deaf stairs at this moment in time. <laughs> So there was a real sense, and I think it's at this point there are people who are listening in on this. We are in the middle of a lockdown at the moment. All house, all initial meetings are taking place virtually via Zoom or FaceTime or Microsoft Teams. So I would have thought perhaps the fact that people will not be prying into every corner, nook and cranny in one's house might be a good thing, but you know what, looking on social media, there are still people
1: who are extremely nervous about it. And and, and also, I think, depending on which agency, whether, whether it be local authority, voluntary agency, I still think in some capacity around all the lockdowns that face-to-face meetings are potentially happening as well.
0: Yes, there is a slow... I mean, here we're talking in February 2021. You'd like to... F- there seems to be some sort of green shoots towards more face-to-face meetings. And I'm endeavouring perhaps that once... Hopefully one day when coronavirus has finally disappeared, God willing, we are hopeful that perhaps face-to-face meetings will resume um, in the adoption journey. And uh, all those anxieties of whether or not those books on your shelf are really appropriate for a little child, whether a shower is suitable, a vessel for bathing one's baby all of these anxieties will come roaring to the floor, not again. So basically, this was the mode of panic that Wes and I had found ourselves leading up to that meeting. I think we had both convinced ourselves from a house perspective that it was entirely unsuitable, that the the social worker would literally walk in, take one look, and it's like, I'm very sorry, this isn't going to work. And that would have been the end of our adoption journey. And that is where we would have brought an end to this podcast. Thank you very much. And good night. However. However. Uh, thank you. Thank yes, you. Yes, however, indeedy.
1: that wasn't the case at all. And very quickly, the social worker at the cabin to us in the beginning was not our social worker long term. Um, but that is a story for another day. Da, 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 da. So, keep listening, folks. Yes. Stay with us on that one. Yeah, so no, but once the social worker arrived at the house, what we wasn't going to be aware of was the fact that first, that very first initial meeting alone was going to be three hours long. Three hours. Yeah, yes. um, which I would say in a good, if I'm saying this to anyone, I'd probably say it's probably not a bad thing that it is, because I think it puts you in good stead for what's to come.
0: And actually... Advice number one, especially if it is still a virtual meeting, have glasses of water on standby. Dry mouth will haunt you all the time. It's easy if they're in your house, you can slip away to make cups of tea or provide a Lovely array of the finest biscuits we have in the household, as we did with our social worker. But if you are virtually and you can't bribe him with McVitie's, or of course, any other um, suitable biscuits, I'm sure will be a great alternative, then glasses
1: of water to hand for your good selves is very much appreciated. Yep. From that meeting as well, what I was going to say was going back to what we were saying in the beginning is that once the social, social worker arrived, I think we knew very quickly that all our initial anxieties went away. Yeah. Yeah. It was not an issue. The social worker came in. He had a very quick look around the house. He wanted to just get a feel for the place. Then it was very much about us. Yeah. It was very much about us. And guess what? He went for a toilet break
0: twice during that three-hour meeting. And not once did he come down says, like, I've just noticed there's no bath. This is the end. Yeah. He was quite comfortable in, that, in our bathroom. And whatever he did there, It didn't deter him from selecting us as suitable
1: parents.
0: I'm just saying, just saying, it was going through my mind. I literally, it was the tour for the house. It's our lovely lounge. Please notice the original fireplace. Look at this lovely sized dining room with the high ceiling kitchen. We've had it recently uh, redecorated. And then of course, literally, here's the bathroom and moving on to the two bedrooms. Thank you. So, yes, I was slightly uh, concerned, but the fact that he enjoyed his time in the bathroom, I was happy. There's a lot of bathroom check going on in here. This is the last (laughs) time, (laughs) just to clear, he was happy with the bathroom. And to be pointed out, in our new home, we have got ourselves a lovely bathtub. So, all bath concerns
1: are now nil and void. Thank you. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, the meeting, yes, it's a very quick look around the house. It was basically chatting about us. He asked about... Us kind of personally, what makes each other tick, what we find interesting about each other, Mm. what we find, I don't know, attractive about each other, I think. I am just thinking really, I'm thinking, there's several questions like that, wasn't there?
0: It's interesting because from speaking to other prospective adopters and to family and friends who are not familiar, shall we say, with the adoption journey, there's a lot of sort of preconceptions as to what our social worker's looking for? What are the sort of parameters? Do you need to own your own house? Do you need to have a partner? Do you need to do this? Do you need to have that? Basically, the rule of thumb is you can be a solo adopter. You can be in a partnership. That doesn't matter either Mm -hmm. way. You don't even need to own your own home. You could be renting. The main things that they ask is that If you have a child, they must have their own bedroom. Yeah. If you have a child already, that there is a gap of, is it three years? I think it's three years, yeah, off the top of my head. It's three years um, between ages because I think they would like to have a sort of sufficient gap and obviously different children at different ages have different needs and they don't want to place a child with another child of very similar ages with sort of competitive needs, shall we say. You have got to have at least not uh, be a non-smoker and that includes e-cigarettes for at least six months and ideally you should be in employment steady employment if there's any sort of issues with jobs or if your issues about being made redundant i know especially with covid at the moment there's a lot of talking about being put on furlough that has f- provided a bit of a spanner in mm. the works for certain prospective adopters but generally anything
1: else it's pretty much all fine. But I know. Also, also, if you're at the stage of you're you're thinking about you made the call, okay, yes, adoption is for us. We're we're going to make a start on it. Um, but then, if you're considering doing any work to the house, um, the advice is, um, which most agencies will say to you, if you're doing any major work, maybe you're extending the house, you you're you, you planning to completely refurbish your kitchen, bathroom, etc., etc. The advice is is to get all that work done before you start the adoption process, uh, because the process is in-depth, there's, yes. there's a lot to it, there's a lot to get through, and also they kind of ideally don't want a child coming to a house that's then going to be unsettled with lots of work going on. They'd rather, obviously in the ideal world, they would like a child coming to a house that's complete, got no obstacles in the way, that's got no upheaval yeah. to to come, so yes so if you're thinking of okay we're going to start the journey on xyz and but then we'll get the kitchen to get the new kitchen done the advice would be uh, any big work to your house um, do get it done prior uh, to your adoption journey Um, because I think that'd be that's because I think I think I think from, from an agency point of view Uh, that be looked on looked upon more favorably that's the case absolutely absolutely um i have touched in some
0: ways at great length about my concerns with uh the state and certain quirks of our house but i think for me on a personal level and i think this is something that is sort of shared with other adopters that i've been speaking to is concerns about We live uh, in Kent and Mm -hmm. I grew up in London. So my closest family is my mum and she lives about an hour's drive away. We didn't have a great sort of friendship circle in our local town. We just moved because it was cheap house prices and it was a good commute to our work. So we were very fond of our town, but we didn't have a big social network there and there was a concern Wes's family were dotted all over the place in Buckinghamshire North London Essex so there was a real concern of would a social worker not look at us too fondly because we didn't have a close-knit family circle I was a product of a single parent family my I did not have I do not have any contact with my father so there was always that concern of was my family unit strong enough to for an adopted child to come? Would it be a case of they'll be missing out on having grandparents and I'm an only child? Would there be no there's no uncles and aunts on my side of the family? All of these things sort of played quite heavily on my um, mind, and I think it's something that other adopters also worry, that, oh, do my family circumstances have an issue and does that have a bearing? And honest to goodness, it really doesn't. I think most... I think the only issues i think social workers may find is if perhaps a
1: family member is on the child sex offenders register for instance or yeah, a, that is probably one of the biggest factors yes um that is one of the biggest factors um if if yourself or a close family member has got a criminal record it's not to say you'll be ruled out completely but it does all depend on what the offense is yes uh, it, that really does depend but that is something don't try and hide don't, don't try and hide it don't mask over it because. When you come into stage one, which you come into on another po- podcast, one of the things you have to do during stage one is DBS checks. And if there's any particular convictions come up, they will get found out. So if there's anything like that you just, that you're worried about, please do bring it up with your social worker. Openness is very much encouraged, yes. very much so. And and I'll say things like that, because I think generally in that first initial meeting, they want to get a good feel for you yeah. to decide whether to take you on through the process. Yeah. In, in effect, that is what the initial meeting is all about. So all this kind of thing, I think it's definitely good to get it out in the open straight away. Yes. Because if you get accepted on the process and then something comes to light later on, it, it doesn't look amazing. It, it, no. It, it, it doesn't look amazing and also, because if you've got one thing to hide, is there anything else? Exactly, and then that trust between you and your social worker disappears. Yeah, and the one thing you want because you're going to be working together for quite a while. And Absolutely, the one, and the one thing you want between yourselves and your social worker is that trust. Good goodness, you, and yes. I think I think I think the way you want to look at it is you kind of want them to become one of your best friends. Absolutely, um, because, your friend, your confidant, your priest, your psychiatrist—they yep. become all of these things yeah so all all of these kind of things get, all get brought up in that very first initial meeting mm-hmm. also one thing they will ask about is sort of family networks your your experience with children whether whether you've got siblings young siblings nieces nephews do you babysit for them do you spend every do you go and spend time with them every weekend that's kind of thing they want to know if you haven't it's not a problem but they want to get a get a feel for the family background but also your experience of of being with children basically looking after children and that is where if you haven't you uh, you'll be advised that it could be necessary to get some voluntary experience or even in my case I've got younger I've got younger nieces and nephews I've I've had a younger brother and sister but because of geographical locations and Mm. where we are placed it doesn't necessarily mean I was able to see them every weekend spend a lot of time with them to get that experience so and Jack being an only child as well um, we were were advised to get voluntary experience let's we'll just put a sort
0: of small pin in that just for the moment to sort of elaborate on that a bit more because when we were speaking with our social worker house tick 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 our background family tick 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 we were working we had good jobs we had a regular income tick 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 all the things lack of bath not an issue whatsoever all of these things completely were you know not problem at all until we did come, as Wes says, to the slight elephant of the room, which was our slight lack of experience yeah. with children.
1: Now, with that, we, th- we thought we'd, we'd get ahead of the game, <laughs> thought we'd be proactive. Hey, look what we've done here. An organised voluntary experience. How marvelous. Look at us. Enthusiastic. Eager to get going. And we had kind of preempted that would probably be the best. Yes, but uh, but but also because we were gonna mention about younger nieces and nephews, younger siblings, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, we thought we never know, that may well be enough and we can make it work. So of course the social worker asked about our, our what we're doing for voluntary work mm. and, and and through some research online, one thing that was suggested to do was volunteer at a children's contact centre. What is a children's contact centre, Wes? Well, as you asked, <laughs> uh, a children's contact centre is it's a supervised environment where, in our one in particular. It's a supervised environment where the absent parents can come and spend two hours each session with the child that they do not live with. Or children. Yeah, child slash children. It it could be the mother, the father. So yeah, it's a supervised environment where it's safe. It's very child friendly. It's to make the children feel very relaxed. Yeah. Where they can have fun. And, and kind of, and generally to them to be able to enjoy the experience of spending time with the visiting parent. Yeah. In in effect.
0: Contact centres sort of come in sort of all different sort of shapes and sizes, but ours was sort of very diverse um, in terms of age ranges youngest were um, the youngest child that we've had was a baby of six weeks the oldest were teenagers of 16 17 uh, the circumstances why um, a parent would come to contact center um, is very varied everything from very bad breakups to issues with drugs with um their general issues um in their life all sorts of different reasons some of them self-referred themselves some were via the courts um if anyone remembers the end of mrs doubtfire slight spoiler alert in the last court scene where robin williams was to be given supervised contact with his children that's basically what contact is the idea being that in time if a parent has had good contact over a period of time with their child or children provisions will be put in place for the child to meet outside of the contact centre and they could have time outside in town doing their own thing and then eventually the goal would be that the two parents would come together and they would have a co-parenting put in place for their child and it
1: will mm. be very happy. So that's it. basically something. That, that's in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. But uh, say so we we found the contact center, and for us, we thought you know what this will work perfectly because it's two Saturdays a month. Yeah. In in the case of our one, which we are still volunteers at actually. Yeah. It's the, the first and third Saturday in each month on a Saturday afternoon for about three hours on those on the two Saturday afternoons. We thought you know what that is perfect. It's on a weekend. It's in the afternoons. We can still have a lay in. We haven't got to use. Holiday up from work mm-hmm. to to do it either, so it's win 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 win. We so of course we mentioned all this to our social worker, feeling very pleased with ourselves, very we're, much so, very smug we were. Gold stars um, for us. However, his fear was that the voluntary work is more of a supervisory role and not and not necessarily a hands-on role with the children per se. So we did. Ha- so we did. <laughs> so Ooh. we did. So we did have a slight fear. We'd be like. Ooh okay but, he, but he, he went away with that and he was like you know what leave it with me i'm going to mention it to my manager and come back to you what we done is we did get on the we got the ball rolling again quite quickly. yeah. And we then approached one of our local nurseries, which actually one we had approached several months prior, wasn't it? So yeah. Se- several months prior. But at the time they couldn't take us on because no. they were, had, I think they had some apprentices or something on at the time. They couldn't accommodate us as well. So the, so of course the, the, the meeting with the social worker was in was a hot July day, wasn't it? It was a hot July Very day. Very hot July and, day. And once this happened, okay, I thought, right, okay, let's get the ball rolling again. Let's get in touch with the nursery see what they say, see whether they'd be willing to take us on as volunteers, explain what we're doing. And thankfully they came back and said, yes, they would absolutely, they'd be absolutely willing to take us both on, which was amazing. All we needed to do was provide a DBS certificate. We, we had forms to fill in, we had, yeah, we had to get DBS, DBS checks done, etc., etc. Yeah, There's the standard as you would expect being around children. So this was the first element we had to, we had to get through. So then in the end, we did get the call back from them, Social worker. Yes. Um he'd he'd put our case our case forward to his manager. And the manager said that they would love to start us on stage one of the process. However, they, want us, they wanted us to do at least a minimum of three months voluntary work prior to starting stage one.
0: It is really interesting because this is the part of the journey that I feared the most. Mm. I dreaded the prospect of volunteering and A lot of our friends and family were saying, this is ridiculous. If we were having a child biologically, we would not have to go through this rigmarole, parent, mothers, fathers, you know, have babies without having to prove that they're worth as parents, which there is perhaps some sense of validity. However, as we were explaining due course, it was an incredible experience
1: for us both. I was going to say, actually, that I was very sceptical about doing voluntary work when researching about adoption in the first place. Yeah. I was thinking, okay, if we need to do that, I don't see what we'll get out of it. No. Literally, how what are we going to gain from spending an hour a week mm. with children we've never met before, yeah. that no relationship to, no bond with? Absolutely. What are we going to get from that? I just couldn't get my head around that at all. And I was so sceptical about it. Really sceptical. But you know what? It was probably one of the best things I think we'd done. I think you, I think you, and what surprised me was, is how quickly you do create bonds with those children and you try and see the figure that they see you as. Yeah. I think, and I think it tells, I think it tells a story for itself, actually, Mm. But yeah, but the experience was definitely invaluable. I think it's from the nurturing. I think it's understanding children, sort of how resilient they are. Yes. Kind of learning about ch- children's needs, how mm-hmm. individual children are. And e- Very and, much and, so. and each child in that room has got different needs. Yeah. Some just want cuddles. Some just want reading to. Some want to chuck you in the sandpit. Yeah, I mean... Um, it's it, it varies rapidly. And, and, I, and I think that's one of the biggest learning curves. And what you pick up from it is children... If Every child is different. And every child's needs are different as well.
0: So just to explain, I worked Monday afternoons... There was three groups at our nursery. There was teenies, toddlers, and... Preschool. Thank you. I was in toddler groups. So that was two to three years old and Wes was in preschool and that was three and above we basically had told the nursery at that time our age range that we were looking at was between one and three so I said perfect it makes Mm -hmm. sense for you to go one of you to go into toddler room one to go into preschool so you'll have an experience of both certainly the first day I walked in I was utterly bricking it if anyone has (laughs) seen Toy Story 3 where the toys end up in a nursery and literally there's the sort of the more grown up room which is a bit more civilized and then there is literally the younger room where the kids are feral and literally just go mad that was how it sort of felt I remember opening the door and literally 20 little heads just turned with 20 pairs of beetle eyes just looking at me It's like good god yep how is this going to work? But I will say, as Wes has said, you bond, they become your own like little sort of they become salga so children in a way, don't they? It is like the yeah. emotion of it. <laughs> I yeah. ended up working there every Monday for a year, and you go through every sort of emotion with them. I and one thing I will say and tell. Terrible. I'm literally made every cardinal mistake you could imagine. You have favourites. You start imagining their lives. You think if I had a bin sack, I could just pick one up and carry them home. Who needs the adoption process? I've got a perfect little child here. Um, I had three children in my group that I was extremely very, very close to. Two boys and a girl. And I was very lucky. I had the girl throughout the whole her year in toddler was Basically, the year I was there, so we started together in toddlers, and we finished as she was going to preschool. But with both of the boys, the first boy, he, I was with for three months, and you know everyone at work heard all about him. They they knew how much I literally this kid. He just we just clicked, but as all kids do, they grow up and at Christmas. So I started, this was in September. We started
1: November. No, it was November. Yeah, You're right. Yeah.
0: It was November. And the following January, he went down to your basically to preschool. Yeah, yeah. So I had him for two months and then it's a the case one Monday. He was there the next Monday. He wasn't. And which was fine. I knew about that, but obviously he's only just t- turning free. He doesn't understand that. So The first day he's in preschool, he sees me, I see him, we play together. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And then after an hour, it's time for him to go. I have to go to a different area for toddler tea time. He has to go to a different area for preschool. And the nursery nurse has to say, no, you're a big boy now. You're going to preschool. He looks at me. I look at him. His lower lip starts to tremble. My lower lip starts to tremble. His face starts to sag. I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I don't think I can deal with this. And then he's literally there, just a pool of tears in front of me. It takes two nursery nurses to prise his fingers off me, grasping the air where I was stood. And I'm like, this is just, this is like, this is Mm. like life and death. This is like, I'm literally, the emotional attachment I had to these children is incredible. And one other so I talked about sort of three. The second boy was really interesting, it was again a boy that we just clicked. He was very, you know, he beat the sound of his own drum. He was a cracking personality. It wasn't until about four months after I started there that just one of the nursery nurses just casually mentioned that he himself had been adopted. And he had an older brother who was in preschool level yeah. who worked with mm-hmm. who was with Wes. Um and both brothers had been adopted and this is incredible because it felt like tangibly our child our adopted child could be, be one of those there yeah, yeah and they could be part of the community absolutely yeah and i've never forgotten this and this is we are really sort of traveling forward um here but i will always remember talking about our experience of volunteering with a prospective adopter in our stage one training course, and I was saying how much I love these children and how great they all are, and then the prospective adopter just turned to me and said, "Oh, but none of those children are going to be like who you'd end up being adopting." And it's always—I all, all this time—it's always struck me of this kind of weird notion of an adoptive child is not different they're not like separate from the rest of their peers Mm. in any shape or form yeah this was a very happy boy who was playing who was loving nursery life who just so happened to be adopted and it was so interesting so many nursery nurses were like saying gosh gosh you would not think because his father picked him up every single day and the physical similarities between the father and the child was uncanny. And yeah. social workers do say it's so bizarre, but you do find that invariably adoptive children end up do taking on sort of characteristics and almost sort of physicality of their own adoptive it's, parents. It is so
1: true. It is so true. And
0: Absolutely. it's, um, you know, we have had so many great adventures. I mean, one very infamous occasion I've, I've never forgotten was I was always in charge of toddler tea time. Cause I did the afternoons and um, we were serving bowls of yogurt and I was at one end of the table. And I think it's an interesting one, but me and Wes were only two of three males in the whole nursery. And it was interesting. A lot of nursery nurses said that they did see, it was really interesting seeing adult men in that environment and how the children responded to yeah, that. Yeah. So and it was really flattering. It was lovely, but we did feel quite monopolised. And you did feel like you, as much as I did, have my rank favourites. And sometimes I could be like very much leaning in very heavily on my side of my favourites, <laughs> which people at home I would not recommend in any shape or form. But um, sorry about that words. Um But I did try and spread myself out, and I gave as many of the children as much an equal share of my time as possible. So I was at one end of the table. And everyone was eating their yogurt. And I noticed that this little boy was very quiet, too quiet. And I looked down and he was face down in this bowl of yogurt. And it's like, oh my God, here I am trying to adopt a child. And I've managed to kill this boy who's basically drowning himself in his own bowl of yogurt. I rushed over to him, screamed out his name. And then he raised his head from the bowl of yogurt, his face completely covered in this stuff. And then he started sort of massaging his cheeks and he just turned to me and he smiled and went like daddy, because what he was recreating was his father's shaving routine. Cause he'd watched it every Sunday. I love that story. And he was literally, he was just rubbing his Greek yogurt (laughs) and going, it's like daddy. And it was like, no, no, this is not shaving foam. This is Greek yogurt. Now, please eat sensibly. And um, it's just so many little things like that. And I do miss them. And I still see some of the children in town. And you just feel like this little pang, like, oh, they're growing up. It's so true. It's like, and some of them are like now four and five and they're like on scooters and they're in their little school uniforms. And it's so hard to describe. I learned, we learned so much about it. And I think I'm from both sides of the volunteer. as much as our social workers all poo-pooed, the contact center. One of the great things about working at the contact center, especially, was it gave us a huge access to a wonderful group of ladies who ran it, and our social group has grown exponentially yeah. in our local area. And and they all become or have become dear friends of ours. Yes, and uh, surrogate aunts yep. and grandmothers. Yep, they have all loved our little boy, and they've taken such interest
1: and gifts, and they are. Wonderful, and it's so. But, but I was say also, as we haven't explained, even though the adoption team weren't keen on the contact centre, mm. but we still went ahead with it. We did. Well, yeah. As well as the nursery, we decided to do the to do the contact centre and the nursery. Yeah, at, at the same time. Which you know what the contact centre the contact centre on its own wasn't favoured upon because of the lack of experience, mm. um, but. For us, it in the, I mean, in the long term, it looked, it was looked upon, it was looked upon very favourably because, and I think the one way we explained it, and I think it was perceived as well is yes, we've got the nursery, we've got all, the, all that, hand, pardon the expression, hands on time with the children, yeah. say, in their educational environment and doing all the day to day things with them. Mm. But what the contact center gives you is the other side yeah. of the family spectrum. The, Yes, you see the children in the the mask of nursery. That every child there, they're having fun, starting their educational journey. Yeah, but it's a much more civilized yes, environment. Yes, but, but but I say what you don't see is the backgrounds to those children, family interaction. Yes, that is what that is what you don't see. But uh, but with the contact center, what,
0: oh good god, yes, what that
1: what that gives you, that kind of gives you the other side mm. of the whole story. Yeah, because so you're seeing the children on one side, but then you're seeing the whole family side of children on the other end and what set up, and what this setup is as well so for us
0: and the family dynamic and it's so interesting because mm-hmm. when i was speaking to friends about it i think the preconception was all the parents were like cast off from the jeremy carl show and it really doesn't families come in all shapes and sizes it defies background it defies class it defies so much it is a very diverse group of people and families we have at the contact center and it is interesting how different people operate as parents how they sort of look at their children how children respond to them dealing with sort of very highly charged emotional and it's really fascinating Mm. microcosm of life as a parent which you get there that you i didn't find you get necessarily in the nursery. So I think both volunteering, both at the nursery and at the contact centre, actually, they were both, they were different sides
1: of the same coin and I think they complemented each other quite nicely. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and and I think that was something that came through in our report. Very and, much so. And it was looked upon very positively, positively as well. Because because we could have so easily said, oh, well, then they're not that happy with the contact centre. It's not going to give them exactly what they want, so we don't need to worry about it. We just to do the nursery. But looking back on it now and the fact that we're still with the contact centre team much, as well yeah. because it's become it's really it's become part of us it's of our and weapon of our life yeah and and first of all um, please let me say that don't feel you have to when you, if you have to volunteer that you're doing what we're doing by continuing to volunteer <laughs> that, that, <laughs> no. that is not part of the journey at all yeah. by any stretch of the imagination but for us as Jack mentioned there that the, the ladies who also run the contact centre with us they have become friends. Yeah. Like we joined there because of our adoption journey. Had we not started this journey, we would never have even found that center and found the 10, eight, 10 wonderful friends that we've, made mm. and great that when we can be open during this pandemic when yeah we, uh, when, when we can be open is we take william along with us yeah and it's fantastic because it's been a li-
0: it was a lifeline it
1: was it was a massive lifeline during the pandemic when could be open because for our little one there was nothing else really that he could go to because no. everything was shut so when we could open and he could go obviously with all the safety precautions in place and everything else so it was all safe but like it was a massive lifeline for him and us, but also with him being able to go and the ladies seeing him grow yeah. because, because we, we take the little one with us and, and the reason why we started there in the first place yeah. is there with us and it just brings the whole thing to life. We sort of come
0: full circle. Yeah, massively. And also, obviously we are in the middle of a lockdown, so things are still precarious mm-hmm. but we have registered a place at the nursery that we volunteered at yeah for little bubs obviously we know the staff very well they know us they know our, about our son our journey and we have absolute 100 percent confidence and love for them all and we know we are slightly biased, but there isn't a better place we can think of that we want to send him to.
1: And actually, the one thing I would say with that is one positive from doing voluntary work in a nursery is that if you're lucky enough for your child to be able to go there, or you want your child to go there, is is that you get to know how that nursery operates yeah. inside out. So from not, not just from the staff, but how that nursery operates, what they provide, what they can provide your child. Mm. And, you, and there's no... There's no better insight into a school slash nursery slash college yeah. than actually being there, being a volunteer there, spending two hours a week or whatever. You get to know inside out how they operate, mm. what they can provide, what food do they provide. Is it, is it just food that's brought in? Is it freshly cooked, homemade food every day? What sort of snacks do they give? You, you, you get to know it all. Um, What trips they do, what do they, they to have sandpits? I don't know. All, all sorts, sorts of sensory all, play, all, yeah. All, all sorts of things.
0: And yeah. And so. nursery anxiety is a big anxiety for parents of adoptive children. There is a real sense of will children settle? Will their children settle? Yeah. There's so much emotional decision making when it comes to placing your child in nursery. And it's very real. But for us, we are so looking forward to the a time when we ourselves can bring our son into mm. the nursery, where we can pick him up, where we can see him in the rooms that we were volunteering in and doing all the stuff that, that we did. It, that will be so weird. And like all the little children have their own little, um, their branded water bottles and their little branded backpacks. Yeah. And I'm just like, even now just thinking about him having his own little water bottle. It's just so exciting. So that real issue of anxiety that many adoptive parents may have just doesn't exist for us because we are as we are excited on our own terms of him going there because it just feels Mm -hmm. like it has brought everything to a beautiful
1: conclusion really and so even though we've got to know the staff but some of the staff have become friends as well uh, then they're still there so so we know really he's gonna be spending time with friends, yeah. in a weird way, but in an environment that we know inside out how it operates as well. Mm. So for us to be in that position, I think is incredible because because you don't always get a situation like that. Sometimes you're you, 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 you for a lot of parents they'll go and do a visit around to try and get a feel for the yeah. play, try and get a feel for the place and and find out as much information as they can in that one tour slash meeting before deciding, but you can get a better idea than actually being there. And I will say there will probably be
0: parents who are listening to this thinking, Jack, where's... I've got plenty of nieces and nephews. I do babysitting every Saturday. I do not need to volunteer. I've got better things to do than listen to this podcast. I'm going to go off and watch The Queen's Gambit, for instance. But what I will say is there will be a time when you have been matched with a child and the day will come where you have to begin introductions. And yes, we are in pandemic mode at the moment and you know everything in adoption is a bit squirrely at the moment, but there will come a time where you are going to have to walk up a driveway to a stranger's house, open the door to place an environment you are not familiar with and a small child is going to look up to you and this will be a stranger's child. You're looking down at them and you have got to have bonds with this child this is your child who you are going to adopt and love and cherish and look after for the rest of your lives it is an overwhelming prospect if and if you do not need to do volunteering as part of the adoption process i would certainly suggest if you can just do a few sessions at a nursery because if you can walk in to a room if you can basically have 20 children turn to you and run up to you and just dog pile you <laughs> and you are almost suffocated by a mass of toddlers and if you can get those toddlers to look forward to you the moment you walk in the door and they turn to you and they scream with your name scream your name with delight you know you've got them yeah and trust me that ability to walk in and to get a child on your side will hold you in incredible stead when it comes to introduction. I was going
1: to say, the way I would look at it is a bit like a dress rehearsal. Very much so. Because I don't think there's anything, in terms of a scenario, I don't think there's anything closer no. to that. Because don't
0: forget, if you are doing babysitting for your friends and your family, you are almost certainly going to be in an environment that you are familiar with, that you are comfortable with, and that child will be predispositioned to love you because their parents will have said here is uncle jack here is uncle wes be nice to them be kind to them be loving to them give them a kiss give them a hug oh no don't be shy be nice to them you are that toddlers at a nursery will not give you time of day you have got to earn their love and respect friends and families
1: children do not have that and in a weird way whether we whether we staff, just volunteers, but even the staff at the nursery, they have to create a bond with those children. Yes. Because all the children have got an allocated key worker. Mm. And yeah, if if there's children that they're full time, which I think the majority of them are, those children are in that nursery from 7.30 in the morning to half six at night, five days a week. So the staff have to create bonds with those children. Those children are spending so many hours per day with that, one person or two persons in the room, whichever or whatever the setup is, is that yeah you have to create bonds with those children and and you kind of have to gain their trust and respect in the same way as your own child that you're about to adopt and meet with the first time. In introductions, you're going to need to do exactly the same thing with them, but except on a permanent basis.
0: And the emotional attachments are real and massively. Yeah, that is something you do not and. I'm always amazed at how easily it is you can become emotionally involved and invested in these children. Mm. And um, it really did solidify doing the nursery. Any qualms or quibbles or questions I had about, is this right? Can I be a good parent? Could I be a father? Especially as someone who never knew his father, who apart from his beloved grandfather never had a father figure in his life. I had real doubts of was I cut out from it. But doing the nursery experience I got that confidence.
1: Mm.
0: I knew I could do it. And it was beautiful. And I will never forget it. No. And
1: I think yeah. I think there's nothing more to be said on that really. No. no. I was and but also with the nurse with the nursery, um, going back so just go back briefly, mm, just, to why, just, just to why we said about doing the contact centre because of it being on a weekend, not having to use annual leave, etc., mm. etc. Et but of course, going to a nursery because Jack was lucky because yeah. because of your working hours, you could do it in the afternoon. Where I you, work, a lot of very early morning yeah. people. So, but but you could do it after work in the afternoon. Mm. So that was fantastic. Mm. But whereas I, in a more standard standard nine to five job, I was having to use half a day leave. Every week, in order to be able to, to facilitate uh, doing the voluntary work, so that did mean pretty much in a whole year, um, because I was using my annual leave to do the voluntary work. That did mean in in of course the, the year, I, I, of course for the whole year, I only literally only had about two weeks holiday, so which was exhausting. So doing that and so doing 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 the voluntary work and working full time, then literally only having about two weeks two weeks holiday for the year, but it was worth it absolutely it was worth it because at the end of the day being a parent is not a walk in the park it is exhausting it is 24/7 so if so if you're in a position where you need to take up a take a tax manual leave to do some voluntary work i would say give it a go honestly yeah. that, that's not been me I, i've had to do it i had to use most of my leave on it but, and you think, oh goodness me, I've I'm going to collapse. I'm absolutely shattered. Mm. But you know what? It puts you in good stead because it's full on. But where it was me? I was I was, I was doing it on a Wednesday morning, so I was at nursery from eight am. Finish at eleven. I get home quick, change, get back to the station, commute into London, work for the rest of the day, work for the rest of the of the day, then get home again at seven pm in the evening. That was my Wednesday every week. It was exhausting, but. You know what? It's again. Is another. I think it's another element to it that would put you in good stead because um, if you're and if you're going through if you're going, if you're going through your adoption journey as a new parent, and I think as any, as any parent already would tell you, it is exhausting and and I think it's a good drama. Uh, yeah, yeah I, 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 yeah. I think it's a very good trial to have a go at really as well because it is for long. But as I say, it was worth doing because the experience we took away from it, as Jack mentioned, mm. it's it's part that we will never ever forget no it was special
0: and I think the last thing I will say is it also throughout that whole year it really because obviously when you're talking to social workers questions always brought up of how do you envisage your child is he a boy is she a girl age sort of personality type everything like that they start talking about it and it's so I think it never occurred to me Because I was not so familiar, but a group of 20 toddlers, it is a community in and of itself. You have hierarchies, you have the bosses, the more gentle children, you have the sort of almost (laughs) like the mean girls clique. And there was a real mean girls clique in my toddler group. There was like four girls who lost that room. And all the boys were terrified. I was terrified of them all. It's just so fascinating to witness what a group of toddlers. Uh, I could just spend the whole just day just l- watching them interact with one another. And it really does sort of, I think, working with those toddlers started to form a picture in my mind of who my child could be and who was a child I wanted him to be. As you may have gathered, I probably had a bit of a bias towards boys by that point because I did find mainly a lot of the boys in my toddler group were particularly lovable. But that might just be me.
1: No. I would say in preschool, I had I had a few of those as well. You certainly did. Yeah, I, I, I had a real mixed bag, but there was what there's one particular boy who I don't know. He took he took to me straight away, mm-hmm. and obviously not being able to divulge information. But as time went on, the more time I was there. I learnt more which explained a lot. And it, and that was special. And the bond created there explained really in itself explained while why I was doing the voluntary work there. So we'd spend a lot of time with him and bless him and with him and he, Wednesdays were nicknamed Where's Wednesday? Where's Wednesday, yeah. Where's Wednesday? It was nicknamed because he always knew so he, that way he always knew on a Wednesday that I was I was coming because yeah. was after, after my first couple of sessions each day he, He was going in. and He was asking if I was going in that day, and they said, "Oh no, not today. On Wednesdays, Wes will be here." And so the nickname was Wednesday. So, so he, so he could link that particular day to me going. And bless him, but if he was outside and I had to to leave, but I was working inside and he was outside, and the staff would tell me that. Bless him, he used to cry his eyes out when he realised I'd left for the day. And yeah, it was just so special. Then there's a, another little, a little chap who was just adorable, mm. just adorable. He just loved hugs. He loved just wanting you to play with him, just wanting him to sit on your lap. He'd want to just be picked up. It was just yeah, he was just just the sweetest, calmest, loving boy. It's just amazing. It really is. Yeah, amazing.
0: So after, even though we ended up doing it for much longer than the uh, three months originally aforementioned by yeah. the social worker's boss, after the three months, which ended up turning into almost over four months because it's part of the proof we had to get the nursery to do references for us so there was a lot of to and froing about getting the references because the manager in question was ill and she came back and then she had to write and then it had to be sent off to the social work blah, blah 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 as you'll all know from adoption there's a lot of bureaucracy and there's a lot of lot of waiting around for things to happen but eventually Four months down the line of volunteering, social workers finally got the references, had their chat, and finally we were good to go on stage one. This was by that point. It'd been how long had it been since oh, the original I, I, I meeting? Was, I was going
1: to say. I was going to say actually, because I'm not we're not saying it's like this for everyone at all. No, because because we we know uh, we know of one couple who literally from their on their journey from yeah. start to finish, from from like the, the journey to getting their match. Was nine months. The way they looked at it, if they said for them it was really quick, it was like a pregnancy. It was basically, yeah, it, was basically it was basically a pregnancy. But for us, because there was a lot of stop-starting with, vol- with the volunteering, yeah, it, and having to get all the references for the and the DBS checks done for the More nursery ducks in um, a row. So for us, we had the initial meeting mm-hmm. in the July. We then didn't help with the fact it was some middle of summer. Everyone's going on their holidays. Oh yes. So was that held everything else up as well? So. Yeah. So, and of course, the whole time, the whole time we we're conscious, we've got to do at least a minimum of three months volunteering before mm-hmm. we can approach them that we've done it. So, yes, yeah, so we had the initial meeting in the July. This is we, July twenty eighteen, Ju- wasn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. It's coming up to nearly two, three years now. That yeah. is insane. Yeah, um, it's crazy. It goes so quick, doesn't it? Mm. Um, yeah. So, July twenty eighteen. We then started in the at the nursery in November twenty eighteen. Yeah. Which is crazy, isn't it? In the November, because they wanted three months, we then approached them. Was it end of February, early March, wasn't it? Yeah, of twenty nineteen, wasn't it? To say we'd done three months because it was late, it was late November, I think for a we'd only, we'd only been there about three weeks before the Christmas break. Yeah, so it was literally end of February, early March, we then went back to our adoption agency and said, okay, look, like, I look, I've done three months. They then got in touch with the nursery, asked for references mm. and then we got the nod um, for, to start stage one. Uh, we then, and then we started, then we started stage one in the April, Yeah, wasn't it? And then we started stage one in the April. So really, so from start, from starting everything with that initial meeting in the July, we didn't. We then didn't get through to the starting stage one because of all the all the volunteering work and the to and fro and the waiting around. We didn't actually start stage one until the following April. Yep. Which, when you look back at it now, you think, wow. So it's a lengthy process, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it as, really but, is. But as I say that was how it was for us. That 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 very first bit, of course. So for us, our journey felt longer because we had those far eight months. Mm-hmm. We had that eight month gap of volunteering and everything else around it yeah so so that kind of added eight months onto our journey yeah really in hindsight i think because we were so skeptical about the volunteering work we thought oh well we have to do it let's just wait and see but then hindsight is a wonderful thing of course and if we really was to tell our younger selves going through it from the beginning again and maybe to any of you who might be in a similar position i would maybe say do some voluntary work before you Apply on the on the, on the start of your journey. Get, get get some voluntary work under your belt mm-hmm. prior, because if you've got that, then that will cover that part and that will help your process along.
0: We're obviously, keeping in mind not to date this podcast because we'd like to think that this is evergreen and will last forever. But we are obviously in the middle of a lockdown. A lot of for a lot of adopters volunteering has been suspended for obvious reasons at the moment for social mm-hmm. distancing. So. We don't know how long that is going to be the case. I think adoption agencies are, of course, taking that into consideration. So whether or not a parent would have required volunteering originally, obviously due to circumstances that might have to go away. But one likes to imagine that once things have returned to a new state of normality, the social workers will want volunteering to become part of an adoptive parent's journey again if they feel it's required. So... If at the moment it may feel this is completely redundant and what we're talking about is ache is completely rendolent of a previous age, but one likes to think that one day you yourselves will end up having to walk into that nursery and get basically yep. leapt on and dribbled over and farted on by 20 adorable little toddlers. Bless them. God,
1: love Bless each and every one of them. <laughs> yeah, No, it was, it was special. It was, it, was, it was a It was a great time.
0: So yes, and finally after all of that... Finally, our social worker called us up and said that we had been accepted finally on to stage one. I did promise I was going to find an... As it, a sound cue somewhere to go into this edit into this podcast every opportunity i kept my promise oh there you go i've got to find more to tu- uh, more sound bites definitely for <laughs> next time yeah so
1: i think that really sums up for us the start of our journey really didn't indeed, doesn't it indeed. From, from the initial meeting and then our voluntary work experience from my bath time anxiety to the joys of toddlers and Everything in between, yes. We do hope you have found it useful and mm-hmm. ben- and beneficial. And as always, if th- please do find us at Two Dads Can Do It on Instagram. Yes. Also, or also you can also email us as well via the Instagram page. Yeah, please do get in touch with us. Any any feedback on the podcast? Any any recommend anything you'd like to know about in the future? Or any or any, just any questions? you want to ask please do get in touch with us via there we'll be more than happy to answer anything you've got and of course as emission feedback for us is really important because we we're doing this to share our story and our experience really yes. to help all of you Otherwise, if none of you are getting anything from it, then why are we doing it? Indeed, why eh? are we doing it? Yeah, so so you can can find us there, and then also on our Instagram page, we're sharing our journey through parenthood with our little bubs as we speak. Yes, at
0: the moment, I've taken upon myself to do a picture a day across the year, so three hundred sixty-five individual posts about three hundred sixty-five moments of our life currently I've done 33 of them and it has been an adventure it has been a challenge but
1: I've enjoyed it it's only just begun
0: beautiful words. thank you very much indeed yes beautiful thank you thank you very much indeed Um, you're welcome we'd love to thank our dear friend Lucia Richards for that beautifully sung little ditty um, at the beginning of the podcast you can find her on Instagram at selfsea.crib do give her a little look at her renovation of her beautiful night 1912 at Warden Terrace, can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever else you may be listening to your podcast. Please do uh, feel free to leave a review, a five star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll raise our visibility on that p- platform, so we do recommend it. If you do like us, pretty please, we love you all. If you do that, thank you very much. Indeed, begging now. Sorry, I will. I will do, I'll go back into my box. We're, we're,
1: and... not, we're, not, we're not. We're not nominated for a national television award here.
0: No, we're certainly mm. not. I don't think anything's up <laughs> for an award in this current climate. No, that's it, no, true. Um, we. Endeavour, we will be back very soon. Not as uh, long a hiatus. I don't think we've got another house move in us for quite some time. Whatever again? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, so we will be back very soon where we will talk about our joyous adventures of stage one, where we had our first of our, of our training courses where I nearly died. Um, I think I'm probably the first person ever to nearly die on adoption training. I will explain more in the next podcast. Honestly, if that's not a cliffhanger, I do not know what is. That's real duff duff, isn't it? We have to have another duff duff moment. You need a soundbite for that, don't you? Wes, we're about to sign off, so we will thank you very much indeed. We will come back with our next episode. We will find out how Jack nearly died on his adoption training.
1: Duff 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 duff. Toodle pip. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: That dad can do
1: it, this dad can do it, two dads can do it, you can do it too.